Hello friends, John LeBond here on Friday the 29th of July 2016 with comment response number nine. Now comment responses are where we look at an older video of mine, then we go through some of the responses and then I offer some additional information that's related to the topic that was covered in the video. And basically it's a way to encourage more people to get involved in the conversation and to share with you what I think about any particular topic. And this podcast I think could be one of the most important podcasts that I've released to date for reasons I'll outline in just a moment. Now, this is comment response number nine, and it's in response to JLBE at 1652, Nicola Tesla, a scientism priest, which was originally published on John LeBon Extra on May 20, 2016. So what we'll do today is have a look at an overview of the video then we'll play the video, then we'll go through the responses to the video, and then I'll provide that additional information. Now, that video was about Nikola Tesla, and in it, I asked the question, is Nikola Tesla a scientism priest? And I provided a number of quotes from the Tesla Society, which seems to indicate that Tesla did believe, or at least claimed to believe, that he either had or could communicate with intelligent life on Mars. Now, a large proportion of my audience are skeptical of everything we're told about outer space, especially the notion that there's intelligent life out there. Now, some even share my view, which is that the only reason why people even believe that the lights in the sky are solid physical objects, which could theoretically host life, is because they've been programmed to believe this by popular culture and academic scientism. Now, a lot of people involved in the alternative media, including much of my own audience, also believes to varying degrees a number of things about Nikola Tesla, such as he was an underappreciated or undermined scientist who's been written out of the history books. He developed advanced technologies such as free energy or long distance wireless transmission of electricity. He was taken out or killed by the Rockefellers or the CIA or someone similar who proceeded to steal his technology and his stolen secretive technology has been used by the government for instance as part of the 9-11 attack via direct energy weapons as proposed by Judy Wood. The towers didn't burn up nor did they slam to the ground but turned into dust in midair. The buildings turned to dust. We don't know a name for that. It needs a new name. I call it dustification. That's building three. A lot of people overlook that building. That material there is all that was left of that building. And this is the remains of Tower Two, about the lobby size down there. To remind you of how big of a mass was there. And then it is gone. This picture was taken on 9-11. Where is all the debris? Nikola Tesla wanted to give free energy to the world, but was afraid it might be used for evil purposes. Well, been there, done that. Already happened. Here is Tower One turning into dust, frothing up into dust. And you can see it shooting up and out. In controlled demolition, buildings are chopped up into chunks. The chunks slam to the ground. And then there's dust. This is dust before it hits the ground. So the reason I wanted to make that video in the first place was because 
If Tesla really made those claims about interplanetary communication, it seemed that there was an obvious contradiction in play. On one hand, he's seen as an anti-science or counter-establishment inventor years ahead of his time. On the other hand, he was promoting, well before it was widely accepted, the idea that life exists on other so-called planets. Now, in the research that I've done since then, I've come to realize that the Nikola Tesla story is of the utmost importance to anybody who wants to understand the life system in which we live and how that life system works. Unless you've spent hours of your own time looking into the character of Nikola Tesla for yourself, I think you'll be quite surprised by what I've found and am going to share in this podcast. So today the plan is to first revisit the original video to set the scene for the rest of the podcast, then take a look at the comments it generated, which themselves are rather revealing, and then take a look at the findings from the research I've been doing since. That way, by the end of the podcast, you'll know more about the official story of Nikola Tesla from primary source documentation, that is, his own words, the alternative official story of Nikola Tesla from the abundant secondary source materials about him, how the alternative story is sold to the mindless lemmings who make up a large proportion of the scene we all find ourselves in. And we'll also take a look at the next rabbit hole related to Nikola Tesla, which will, I dare say, make everything else look like child's play. So let's get started then. First of all, we'll take a look at the video, which I'll play to get through it quicker at 1.25 speed. Was Nikola Tesla one of the early high priests of scientism? And was he one of the original propagators of the notion that Mars is a place that you can go to and even drive uh, remote control cars around? It might be the case that he was, and I'll explain why in a moment. Now, Nikola Tesla is someone I've never really looked into in the past. In fact, all I've really known about him was that he had something to do with these Tesla coils. And even then, I only knew that because back when I was younger, I played a lot of video games, and there was a game called Command & Conquer that was very popular. And there was this thing that you could build to defend your base called a Tesla coil that would basically just zap people as they came near. It was a really handy thing to have, actually. But anyway, I was doing some research on a completely different topic recently, and I found out that apparently Tesla might have made some comments about Mars. And so I thought, well, what the hell, I'll look into this really quickly. And what I found was so interesting, I thought I would share it with you straight away. So let's have a look at it. Now, this is from the Tesla Memorial Society of New York, which apparently has a lot of distinguished and qualified people on its board or its council or what have you. They've got all these people, click here for their biography, a PhD, a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, another professor, this one in Belgrade, a doctor, another doctor, a few other people. So it seems like this is a very reputable website. doesn't mean that what they're saying is true, obviously, but the point is this isn't just some hobby website. This looks like some kind of serious Tesla memorial site and they released a document called the electrical signals of planetary origin nikola tesla and the planetary radio signals now what's interesting is the quotes that they list and they do give references for all of their quotes so let me read a few of them out to you and it says here tesla speaks and again they provide references for all of these quotes i'll go through those in a moment but just quickly let's look at some of these quotes here we are getting messages from the clouds 100 miles away possibly many times that distance do not leak it to the reporters All right, well, that seems harmless enough. Uh, What's the next one? My measurements and calculations have shown that it is perfectly practicable to produce on our globe, by the use of these principles, an electrical movement of such magnitude that, without the slightest doubt, its effects will be perceptible on some of our nearer planets as Venus and Mars. Thus, from mere possibility, interplanetary communication has entered the stage of probability. Now, that one's interesting, isn't it? Next, 
movements on instrument repeated many times concludes it to be a message from another planet. That was in 1901. Next, I did not state that I had obtained a message from Mars. I only expressed my conviction that the disturbances that I obtained were of planetary origin. So it looks like he's backpedaling a little bit there, but he's still claiming that he's receiving messages from other planets. Now, I know that many people who are likely to watch this video still believe that the planets out there are places you can go and you could walk around or you can drive remote control cars or all these sorts of wild fantasies that are part of the scientism religion. Quite incredible myths when you think about them. But a lot of you know that this is all nonsense here. So if Tesla really did say this stuff, then it does call into question anybody who would speak about Tesla like he was some kind of sage or some kind of... Um, I mean, there's this notion out there that Einstein got all the credit that Tesla was the real good scientist and, you know, he was all of his ideas were stolen and all this kind of stuff. If he was pushing this kind of nonsense... Well, anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. Next quote. The feeling is constantly growing on me that I've been the first to hear the greetings of one planet to another. Then a few years later, I referred to the strange electrical disturbances, the discovery which I announced six years ago. At that time, I was only certain that they were of planetary origin. Now, after mature thought and study, I have come to the positive conclusion that they must emanate from Mars. Now, when he says things like electrical disturbances, you know, look, we get some kind of energy from the sun, so in theory, we could be getting energy from the lights in the sky that we call planets. There's no issue with that. The issue with some of these quotes, he makes it sound as though Mars is actually a, like a planet in the sense of this place you could actually go to. I mean, look at this one, for instance. This one from 1921, a little bit later. The arrangement of my receiving apparatus and the character of the disturbances recorded precluded the possibility of there being of terrestrial origin and I also eliminated the influence of the Sun, Moon, and Venus. As I announced, the signals consisted in a regular repetition of numbers, and subsequent study convinced me that they must have emanated from Mars, this planet having been just then close to the Earth. See, now that kind of quote suggests that he completely buys into the whole solar system model, doesn't it? Or well, not just that he buys into it, but he's helping to propagate it. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Check this one out. 22 years ago, while experimenting in Colorado with a wireless power plant, I obtained extraordinary experimental evidence of the existence of life on Mars. I had perfected a wireless receiver of extraordinary sensitiveness, far beyond anything known, and I caught signals which I interpreted as meaning one, two, three, four. I believe the Martians use numbers for communication because numbers are universal. Now, if Tesla really said that, come on, he's clearly a propagandist for the official story that there are these planets that you can go to and that there might even be life there. And then they've listed another quote as well, another 12, 13 years later. In 1899, while experimenting with a wireless receiver of extraordinary sensitivity, I detected faint signals from Mars, our brother planet. I could not interpret the signals, but they seemed to suggest a numerical code. One, two, three, four. Now, obviously, Tesla might never have said any of these things. These could all be false quotes. Let's go and check out some of the sources that they list. And here's their list of references at the bottom of the file. Letter to George Scherf, dated 4 July 1899, an article in the Century Illustrated magazine, uh, the New York Sun, letter to the editor of the New York Sun, which they got from a museum in Yugoslavia, uh, one from a thing called Collier's Weekly, which is reprinted later on, a problem in electrical engineering, Harvard Illustrated in 1907, the New York Times again, the New York Herald, the Electrical World, the Albany Telegram, on and on it goes. Now, I haven't been able to find PDFs. I've only searched for a few of these. I've been able to find the primary sources of any of these references. So again, I'm saying that Tesla actually did say these things. I'm bringing this to your attention. I'm hoping that some people, if you already knew this or if you know where you can find these uh, primary sources, that would be terrific. But also, for those of you out there who are one of these people who've bought into the whole, oh, Tesla was a genuine guy and Einstein got all the credit and 
the you know the JP Morgan or the Rockefellers stole all of his stuff and he was a good guy and and now that you've seen this if you were to find out that Tesla did say all of this would you still believe that Tesla was a, a good guy or that he was somehow uh, against the the system because look at it if he did say these things he's not only claiming like he's not only buying into the official story about the solar system he's even going so far as to say that not only is there life on Mars but he thinks he's communicated with it and so this was a hundred years ago and so now we've got you know NASA and Hollywood, Zio Hollywood, pushing this narrative that, you know, what is his name, Ethan Hawke or Matt Damon, one of those two turkeys, going to Mars, you know, in a movie, which people are so dumb these days, they actually believe this crap, that this could happen, right? What was it, 10, 15 years after Deep Impact in Armageddon? Now NASA is saying they've actually put rockets onto comets flying around space. Give it 10, 15 years and people will fully believe that there are humans walking around on Mars. That's how dumbed down we are. But if you go back far enough, at some point, people didn't believe in this absurd nonsense. Somebody had to introduce the ideas to them. And according to this document, it looks like Nikola Tesla might have been that guy. So there you go, you have the video, and I was pretty open about it. I said, look, here's what I found from the Tesla Society. Here's what they're claiming that Tesla said. Here are the sources they've given. I haven't double-checked those sources, but if Tesla said these things, how does that gel with what most people in this scene believe, which was that Tesla was this good guy? And I also said, if you know where we can find these sources, then that'd be great as well. So I was trying to spur a conversation about who Tesla was, what he actually said, how that gels with other beliefs about him, etc. And as we'll see in a moment, I've gone and done that background research now, and it is very revealing to say the least. But this is a comment response. So what we like to do is go through the comments that were left and respond to those comments or respond to as many as we can. And I always do start with the uh, first left and then I make my way through to the most recent comments. So, so let's go to the first comment that was left as soon as I posted the video. And Jordan Rains says, uh, letter to George Scherf, funny, from my research, the Scherf clan changed their name to Bush. Yes, as in the Bush dynasty that has taken over the USA. It's hard to believe whether those quotes are real or not. Remember, history is written by the victors. And I don't think that it's far-fetched to believe that the wandering luminaries are communicating with each other through electromagnetic frequencies. Okay, so a few things there. Firstly, Jordan is saying that the Scherf family, who were referenced uh, in one of those quotes from the Tesla Society, changed the name to the Bush family. I've heard similar things, but I haven't been able to prove it one way or another. He says it's hard to believe whether the quotes are real or not. Well, as you'll see in a moment, or as you'll hear from this podcast in a moment, they certainly are real, at least as far as the official story goes. And uh, he says he doesn't think it's far-fetched to believe the wandering luminaries are communicating with each other through electromagnetic frequencies. Well, anything's possible, but that's just rife, rampant speculation, isn't it? So uh, we'll leave that one there. Thank you, Jordan, for the comment. Event Skeptic says, Ha, I had to take five minutes here just to say, John, oh boy, you seem to have taken the piss here. You might ponder actions made with intentions of discrediting someone and as well hide the truth that energy is free and the sheer abundance of it could stop slavery. You might think about printing quotes and other absolute nonsense for people such as yourself to later find and discredit them with, hmm, I see how it is to make these claims. I'd like to hear some recordings or something a little more real then quotes from over a hundred years ago, poor summary, and it would have been nice if you had more evidence of these claims. Now I feel even more duped by you. Cheers anyway. 
Now, for the record, this event skeptic character is somebody who is heavily involved in the so-called truth movement on YouTube, first with the hoax-busting community a couple of years ago that centered around Jeffrey C., now more lately with the Flat Earth online cult, and he's one of these people who will strongly and vociferously defend his beliefs. He's not here to learn about the truth, he's here to defend his beliefs. And in this comment, you can see a classic example of that. He's denying the quotes that have been given by the Tesla Society, even though they're from the Tesla Society. And he even tells you why he's doing that, because he believes in free energy. And as we'll see later in this podcast, the notion of free energy, a lot of people today who believe in free energy, it all stems back, whether they realize it or they don't, to not simply Nikola Tesla, but the myth of Nikola Tesla that is peddled through, largely through the New Age movement today and our related characters. So event skeptic, probably a well-meaning person, but he has bought into a lot of narratives now that he can't get himself away from. So when someone like me posts a video saying, hey, uh, this character that you guys believe in, did you know that he's also pushing a lot of scientism a hundred years ago, that he was a, a big scientism proponent or possibly and event skeptics response is, well, he can't have said those things. I want quotes from, you know, I want quotes today about Tesla. I don't want quotes from a hundred years ago. Uh, and I think many of you can sort of see what's going on here. It's when they realize there's this internal contradiction, they want to believe in Tesla because of the free energy and the other nonsense they've bought into. But they also know that the official story about planets and Mars and life on Mars is nonsense. They can't reconcile the two. So what do they do? Well, they deny one set of evidence. So event skeptic, uh, once again, you've provided a classic example of some of the psychological conditions I talk about people suffering from in this scene. So thank you very much for the comment. Kathy Dudley says that Tesla's father had interesting connections to Rome, all roads lead to... And yeah, from my research, it seems as though the official story here, the story that Tesla tells himself, at least as quoted by official outlets, is that his father was uh, some kind of uh, priest or clergyman or something like that. So interesting comment there, Kathy. Thank you. Now, Exceptional Perception, who's often a very good commenter, says they burned down Tesla's lab, stopped funding his experiments, including the Wardenclyffe Tower. He ended up digging ditches to make a living and died broke. Those are some relatively good indications that he wasn't on their side. So exceptional perception there is promoting the myth of Tesla. Uh, there's a number of things that he's said there that, uh, as we'll see later, are purely Tesla mythology. The idea that they burned down his lab, they stopped funding his experiments, uh, he ended up digging ditches to make a living, he died broke. These are all stories. Now, they might be real stories, but how many people like Exceptional Perception have gone to see if they can find primary sources, genuine evidence for these stories? And how many people are simply repeating what they've heard from other people? Uh, we'll see more about this as we go on. Exceptional Perception, you're normally a good commenter. As you'll see later, though, this particular comment of yours, it's phony baloney. Cognitive Dissonance, uh, also known as Tim Osman, says... No way of telling. It should all be dismissed and deemed fiction. History has the potential to be as contrived as Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. What better way to spread agendas than to hijack intellects of the past, fictional or not, and insert any conceivable message into their works and have no one the wiser? And Supermot34 chimes in with good comment. And Cogdis does make a good point here that 
how much can we trust history, the history that we're given, how much of it is given to us in the same way that it happens in George Orwell's 1984, where uh, day by day and even minute by minute, the past is brought up to date. So uh, Cogdis, it makes a good point. There is no way of telling. However, what we can do is go back to what's presented as uh, the official documentation, such as copies of newspapers from the time. And that's what we'll be doing later in this podcast. So in a way, you can you can say, look, I don't trust anything, no matter who it's from, from more than a few years ago. That's fine. At the same time, you don't have to do that. You can say, well, what are they presenting us as being the story today? Because that still has consequences. If we can show that they have newspaper articles that are presented as real from 100 years ago that show Tesla pushing the official story of science, then how can people still say that, oh, Tesla invented free energy and it was suppressed and yada yada, because their sources are going to be either the same or worse. So I'm happy for people to throw away the full story of Tesla, but that does have significant consequences, especially in this scene. We'll talk more about that later. Validation Boy says, funny bit is it doesn't matter what team Tesla was playing for, he made some awesome shit that got suppressed. All other quotes and possible ideas or beliefs he may have had are irrelevant. Glad to see my video entitled Everything is a Conspiracy directly compelled you to do further research on Tesla. Decent video, but not your best. Much respect. Uh, well, uh, just that last bit there. Uh, I'm glad to see my video entitled Everything is a Conspiracy. Validation Boy is, I think, a good contributor and he does make some very interesting videos. Unfortunately, he has this egotistical bend where it's all about him and what he does. And I think he'd be much better as a researcher and as a presenter if he could somehow get rid of that ego thing he's got going on. And as for his claim that uh, he made awesome shit, that Tesla made this awesome shit that got suppressed, maybe that's true. What's the evidence for it? People keep repeating this, they keep saying it, but what's their evidence? And it turns out we're going to find later that a lot of the stories that get pushed about Tesla, they all go back to one or two central sources which are easily provable bunk. Uh, Validation Boy, thank you as always for the comment. Wayne Moss, another person who's usually a good commenter says, nope, if you define scientism as the passionate attachment to the consensus dogma of reductionist mainstream science, then Tesla was pretty much the opposite of high priest. You need to read about his arguments with Edison and with Einstein and how Tesla literally reinvented electrical theory and how he rejected popular relativity. Tesla may not have been the surreal super genius that some people suppose, but he was certainly brilliant and successful and truly a maverick intellect. Suggesting he was a propagandist is just silly. Like Tesla, Marconi also believed he had received messages from Mars. Both men were intelligent and neither were liars. I would rather speculate on what the message actually was and why they believed it was coming from the direction of Mars rather than arbitrarily assume they were advancing some unidentified cultural agenda. Very interesting comment, Wayne. Thank you for making it. Now, Wayne refers to these arguments with Edison and Einstein that Tesla was engaged in. He says that Tesla literally reinvented electrical theory. Uh, these are the kind of things when, if I was going to go around telling people these stories, I'd give them references, or at least I would hope I would give them references. I'd say, you need to learn about this. Here's where you can go to learn it. You see, or you should know about this. Here's where you can find out more about it. By simply putting words there with no references, all you're doing is repeating stories. And one of the things I'm trying to encourage people to do is to get into the habit of 
not only working out why they believe certain things, but when they're trying to convey that message to others, show them with references and with sources uh, where they can do their own research and why they might believe in these things as well. To simply say uh, A happened or B exists or whatever and provide no documentation, no references, no sources, who, do you, who are you going to convince saying that? Like, why are even you convinced? Do you, do you have a foundational uh, set of evidence to support what you believe? If you do, why not include that when you're trying to share it with others? I mean, to me, this is all common sense. I understand a lot of people didn't go through the academic system. They weren't trained in footnoting or endnoting or referencing or sourcing evidence. I understand all of that. That's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get more people into the habit of doing that. And hopefully with future comment response uh, podcast, hopefully in future videos that I post, more people will go to the effort of saying, well, here's what I believe and here's why. Here's where you can double check what I'm saying. That's one of the things I'm trying to get more people into the habit of doing because that'll benefit each of us uh, individually and as a group if we all get into the habit of explaining why we believe things. It'll force us to be more rigorous in what we're doing and it will help others who want to go and build upon what we've come up with. Uh, Wayne Moss also says that suggesting he was a propagandist is just silly. Well, we'll see about that later in this podcast. And then he says that Tesla and Marconi both believe they'd received the messages from Mars. He'd rather speculate on what the message actually was than uh, assume that they were advancing some unidentified cultural agenda. Well, what I'm trying to do is to get rid of the speculation altogether. What can we actually prove? If we're going to believe things, what is it based on? To accept that, oh, they were receiving messages, so let's speculate on that, rather than to say, well, what evidence is there that they're receiving messages? That, to me, seems to be putting the cart before the horse, Wayne Moss. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, thank you very much for the comment. Now, Wake the Sheeple 2016 says, maybe not as broke as so many people say, and then he lists a link. Now, that link is to a speech or a lecture or a talk given by a character named Andrea Puerich. Now, I'm not going to go into much detail about him in this podcast, but what I will say is that if you spend the time looking into the story of Tesla and why so many people believe the nonsense about him that they do, it turns out that this Andrea Puerich is a big part of that story, and it goes much, much further than that. I'll touch on that later, but wake the sheeple. Thank you for the link. Now, Supermot34 says, Haha, I first heard about Tesla coils from that game as well. He's referring to Command and Conquer, as I was talking about in the video. Some of those quotes are just laughable. I have long suspected Tesla is just another character in the long story of history without knowing for certain. Reason being that despite the fact that people say Edison took credit for everything he did, Tesla is well known in the mainstream, and if he was a legit scientist that the powers that be wanted to conceal we would not have access to the kind of information about Tesla that we do. They are able to rewrite history and change people's perceptions to such a degree that it seems silly that Tesla could have slipped through the cracks. Nikola Tesla equals 11.9 in Gematria as well, which may or may not be significant to the reader of this comment. And Supermot34 is one of the commenters who floats around my work, if you like, who is probably closer to my understanding than most of the people who are subscribed to my channel in that he accepts that if something is pushed in the mainstream media, it makes sense to just infer there's a good chance that we're meant to know about these people. So if we all know the name Nikola Tesla, and we all do, then why would we assume that we're not supposed to know the name Nikola Tesla is kind of where Supermod34 is coming from with this. 
And to me and to many people out there, especially people say fakeologist and this kind of thing, this is the common sense way of looking at it. It's like, well, hold on. Why would you, if something's on TV, why would you think you're not supposed to know that name or that theory? And so if it is the case that people like Nikola Tesla get covered on the History Channel or Ancient Aliens or this kind of stuff, these sorts of fields, why would you for a second think, ooh, he's suppressed or ooh, he was written out of history? It's quite the opposite, isn't it? And I do understand when you first get into this scene, this can be a difficult thing to grasp because it's like, well, hold on, are you saying that sort of everything on the mainstream is controlled? And of course, the longer you hear, the more you realize, yes, that's exactly what it is designed to do. It's designed to put out ideas and messages and concepts and affect culture, culture creation, all the rest of it. So uh, what Supermod 34 is getting to with this, I agree with him completely. We all know the name Tesla. He's in video games like Command and Conquer, clearly not repressed. Uh, has his story been manipulated and twisted? I would say yes, but rather than assume that it's been twisted to uh, take away from the truth of this great man Tesla, there is a possibility that it's been twisted to push another story altogether. And we'll see more about that as the podcast goes on. So Supermite34, thank you for the comment. Now, Eccentric Views, my man down there in Melbourne, says anyone who featured in a big budget Hollywood movie 80 years after death with David Bowie playing the part has got to be suspicious. Please see the classic Christopher Nolan 2006 film, The Prestige, starring Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. And I hadn't actually heard or I didn't know of that film prior to Eccentric Views comment. So I went and looked into it and sure enough, there is a film from about 10 years ago and uh, the character of Nikola Tesla is played by David Bowie. So again, this goes to the heart of this idea of, well, if you're not meant to know who David Bowie is, why, uh, sorry, if you're not meant to know who Nikola Tesla is, why are big mainstream stars playing his character in a big budget film. It's simple stuff. Once you get your head around this, it's all very simple and straightforward and obvious. But I do understand if you're still new to this scene or if you're not the kind of person who's happy to uh, review their beliefs and review why they believe things, this can be tough. But I think this is an important thing to understand, especially going forward with my work. I plan to keep releasing videos and podcasts and this kind of thing. And if you've been listening to me for the last six or 12 months and you still can't quite get your head around this idea of, well, if you're seeing it on TV, if you're seeing your video games, maybe you are supposed to know of these stories, then maybe you're never going to get it. And um, there's nothing that I can do for you. Maybe you're right. Maybe, you know, maybe uh, Nikola Tesla was suppressed and, you know, may maybe. But um, I think by the end of this podcast, it'll be quite obvious to anybody with eyes to see that uh, that's simply not the case. So eccentric views, thank you for the comment. Maddie V. Phuket, Thailand, a man from Melbourne, as I understand it, uh, my home city of Melbourne, same as eccentric views, but now living in Thailand, last I heard, says, Bang, all history is but a screenplay to keep us amused and going forward into our continued compliant slavery, which to most looks better than what we had in our so-called past. What facts about anything do we really possess? Again, good skepticism. As we can see from these comments, there are a number of people out there who do possess the ability to uh, skeptically analyze the stories that they're given. And that's what really what this is all about. We're given from the moment that we can listen to people, uh, a whole bunch of stories. We're given lots and lots of stories. And from those stories, we seem to uh, frame a worldview or a way of trying to understand what's going on. And a lot of what I'm doing, a lot of what I've done in the last couple of years, and what I, a lot of what I'm going to keep on doing as I go forward is uh, questioning those stories, why we believe those stories, how many of those stories can be believed. 
And uh, Maddie V Phuket in Thailand, it seems to understand that. So Maddie V, thank you for the comment. Moto Toxin, yet another one, says, good video. The more Tesla is promoted, the more suspect it appears. Food for thought. So I think that's four commenters in a row. Supermot34, Eccentric Views, Maddie V Phuket, and Moto Toxin, who are all Australians uh, or are now living in Australia. In the case of Moto Toxin, I think he might be British. Uh, people who are on the same page as me in terms of, well, Tesla's a story. How much of it can we believe? So... That's good to see. Moto Toxin, thank you for the comment. Now, a character named AA Propaganda Morris says, Ignorance is not bliss. You would think with Google searches being easy and with numerous Nikola Tesla interviews and writings being publicly available online and on Amazon for years, there would be little confusion about the work of Nikola Tesla. See links below to read the man in his own words on the very device his foundational research allowed the military-industrial entertainment complex to create in the first place. There are plenty of actual article and writing by Nikola Tesla that you can read online for yourself. And I'll just leave that comment there. It goes on much longer. It's a, quite an extensive comment. And then he leaves a number of links to TFC Books and the Tesla Society and Tesla Universe. As we'll see later in this podcast, a number of those sources are very interesting for their own reasons. Now, I read Propaganda Morris's comment as being pro-Tesla. He's saying, well, there's all this information out there about Tesla. You should all know by now what he really did, the technology he really came up with. And he's, he's sort of presenting it as Tesla did these amazing things and you guys should know by now. As we'll see, it's quite the opposite. When you look at what Tesla actually said in his own words as recorded, at least purportedly by the mainstream media at the time, it's quite clear that he didn't develop any of this technology at all. And the only reason people believe that he did is because of what's been written about him since. But all the same, AA Propaganda, thank you for the comment. Carlotta Tendent says, It's more likely the quotes attributed to him are fabricated, but who knows? It's impossible to determine what is true, seeing how muddy the waters are. Well, the quotes attributed to him can be fabricated, but I went and double-checked them, as we'll see in a moment. And the quotes that were given by the Tesla Society are actually only a tip of the iceberg of what he was reported to have said at the time. But either way, Carlotta, thank you for the comment. Eric Walker says, so if Tesla didn't get everything right, then he got nothing right. The guy who essentially created the modern world clearly got more right than he got wrong. The idea that all of Tesla's work is discredited by a few early outlandish statements is foolishness. So what Eric is saying here, and I don't think I got his first sentence quite right there. It was a question. It was like, so if Tesla didn't get everything right, then he got nothing right? It was kind of more like that. So what Eric is saying is, oh, just because Tesla was wrong about these comments about, about Mars or about outer space or alien life, does that mean that we can write off everything that he did? And of course, that wasn't what I was saying in my video. In my video, I was saying, here's some quotes that I've found of Tesla from the Tesla Society that kind of seems like they might be a legitimate source for Tesla information, at least as far as the official story goes, they're saying that he claims to have communicated with Mars. Uh, how does that fit in with your understanding of Tesla? And what Eric's done is straight away accept those quotes as being legitimate and then say, oh, but it doesn't in any way affect everything else that we know that Tesla did. And I think this is another classic example of someone believing in Tesla, believing in the Tesla mythology. So straight away, they go into defensive mode. And that's what this is really all about. It's about beliefs. If people strongly believe in free energy or in suppressed technology or any of this kind of stuff, uh, 
you know, it means a lot to them that they hold on to those beliefs oftentimes. And I think the people who do well in this scene, the people who excel like on an internal basis and then also externally in terms of presenting their information to others are the ones who are more happy to let go of beliefs when the evidence they thought they had turns out to be nonsense or they realize they had no evidence or better evidence comes along. The more easily you can let go of beliefs, the better you seem to do, uh, is my experience. And from viewing others, it's the people who can't let go of beliefs who seem to really struggle here and probably really struggle in life, I would argue. I think a lot of the good things that come from uh, engaging with this scene are applicable to all realms of life, not just what we do online. And so if you can get better at saying, well, here's what I believe at the moment, here's the evidence that I've got. Now there's this counter evidence, maybe I have to let go of that belief for now until I find other evidence or what have you. Uh, the better you get at that, I think the better you're going to do in life in so many areas, whether it's uh, work or social situations or you know your own body, your diet, these kinds of things. When we have strong beliefs that we hold on to, uh, they tend to hold us back. And I think Eric Walker is yet another example of this. And then Bob Cool on the last one from this comment uh, review says, if he did say these things, there were people trying to make him seem crazy. So again, this idea of, well, if you can find quotes of Tesla saying these things, it's because other people have come along and written them to make Tesla seem crazy. So probably yet another person who strongly believes in Tesla. And that's the end of the comments. And one of the things I enjoy about comment responses is it allows me to talk about, and also I guess in a way to archive the different people who are checking out the content that I release on YouTube. And as you can see, this is probably one of the best examples we've had so far. There is quite a spectrum from people who are much closer to me on that spectrum in terms of open skepticism, this idea of, well, here are the stories, but how much can we trust them? This is what we're told is history. How much can we trust it? He was on TV. Characters like Nikola Tesla were on TV. Why would we think we're not supposed to know of who he is? Right through to people on the other side of the spectrum who still fully believe in all kinds of stories, but instead of believing what they're told by the 6 p.m. news, they believe what they're told by some clown on a red ice radio or they believe what they've read in a book about frenergy or something. So you've got everything from the strong believers right through to strong skepticism and, and things in between as well. And it was, I mean, it's only a small sample size, but it is interesting to see that the Australians who follow my work seem to be closer to me on the spectrum. And some of these Americans or Canadians, they, uh, they're still very much in the belief-based paradigm. I'm not suggesting that that is, um, can be extrapolated across uh, the populations or anything like that at all. I mean, for starters, like I said, it's a very small sample size, but it is something very interesting that I noticed. And uh, I would love to see one day more of these people uh, get more active in getting their voice out there. I know that Mototoxin has made a few awesome videos. I've actually mirrored one or two of them as well. And uh, people like Matty v, v Phuket, Thailand, he's taken part in a couple of live hangouts with us. So he's got his voice out there. Supermod, I think might be uh, the gentleman who helped release or helped promote a video about the Southern Star rotation, which really messed up the Flat Earth online cult. I think that was Supermod. I hope I'm not confusing him with somebody else. And uh, there might've been, oh yeah, Gino. Gino's made some cool videos as well. So not only are these guys showing good skepticism, they've all in their own way helped get it out there as well. So I think that's terrific. That One of the things I wanted to do when I originally got into all of this was to get more people to be more skeptical and to share their skepticism and the information that they've found via skepticism with the world. So yeah, just this comment section alone is really, uh, I think it's terrific, it's good stuff. 
So anyway, that's so what we've uh, we've recapped the video and then we've gone through the comments. Now we're going to get into the really fun part of this podcast, which is the research that I did subsequent to it when it comes to Tesla and the quotes and what I discovered since. And basically, what's today? Friday. I originally meant to make this podcast on the Monday or the Tuesday, and I've just been spending hours every day since then doing research into the original source of the information to the primary sources, the original claims made by Tesla, and then the rabbit holes that sent you down in terms of, well, if he said this, how come everybody believes this? And what happened in between? And then you find out that this character is connected to that character. This author supposedly got his information from this guy. That guy is also involved in this thing. This whole Tesla rabbit hole goes so much deeper than I could have imagined. And just like every rabbit hole, the smart man doesn't think he's reached the end of it. It's sort of the further you get into it, the further you realize it must go. But I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, you know what? I'll just put out some of what I've found and then I'll continue on that research when I get the chance to do it. But um, I've got so many things I'm meant to be doing at the moment. I'm flying down to Melbourne in a week and I'm meant to be uh, cleaning up some stuff here at my friend's place, getting ready to leave Brisbane. So I'm a very busy man right now. But this is just... And then I've got a mate who I'm meant to be helping with his uh, online business or what have you. So I've got a lot of things I'm meant to be doing right now. But this whole Tesla thing has just kept me completely captivated for the last few days. And I think... Uh, very soon you're going to see why. So what we'll do right now is we'll look at the legitimacy of the quotes that were given by that Tesla Society PDF. And the first thing I needed to do was determine if those Tesla Society quotes were even legitimate. And I had to sift through a lot of nonsense online to finally find the primary sources for those quotes. And I found a thing called the Tesla Collection. It's a fantastic source of information I'll provide a link to all of this as always uh, underneath this video and on my website, johnthebond.com. Here's a synopsis from the website of the Tesla Collection. Quote, The Tesla Collection is the most comprehensive compilation of newspaper and periodical material ever assembled by or about Nikola Tesla. The collection begins on August 14, 1886 and continues through December 11, 1920, comprising approximately 1,700 separate items totaling more than 4,200 pages, the collection is drawn from both American and British publications and is reproduced directly from the original English language material. End quote. So basically, it's a whole bunch of photocopied newspaper articles, journal articles, and so forth that have been uploaded as JPEGs. And then it's even listed on a database that you can go through by year, you can go through by publication, you can even go through by topic. So it is terrific. And a lot of what you're about to hear comes straight from that Tesla uh, society, that Tesla collection. Now the Tesla collection is definitely an official source because it's endorsed by the Tesla society and an endorsement is written for it by William H. Turbo, the self-proclaimed last living relative of Nikola Tesla. So this isn't just some hobby website or anything like that. As far as official uh, sources go regarding Tesla. This is as good as you'll find on the internet and it is a terrific resource. So I'm very thankful that I found it. It took me a little while to find it, uh, but once I did, it just made everything so much easier. So uh, the Tesla collection, I do encourage you to check that out yourself. But what I did was, first of all, I wanted to see if I could double check the quotes that were listed on that original PDF about Mars from the Tesla Society. So I find this PDF from the Tesla Society with all these quotes about Tesla talking about Mars. And then I say, hey, 
did Tesla really say these things? Uh, if he did, how does that you know match with other things that you guys believe about Tesla, etc.? As you guys saw in the comments or heard in the comments, some people wanted to deny that Tesla ever said those things. They wanted better evidence. And that's fair enough that you don't just believe it because the Tesla Society talked about it. Neither did I. That's why I went and double-checked what other sources we had for it. And you see, this is what skepticism really is. Skepticism is different to cynicism. Uh, you can be cynical and say, oh, that's not true or that's not true and then just sit on it. Skepticism is about saying, well, this could be true. It might not be true. What evidence do we have for it? to lead us to that belief. And real skepticism means going and seeing if you can find that evidence. So on the Tesla Society, uh, the Tesla collection rather, they don't have everything that's ever been written by or about Nikola Tesla. As I said, they've got from 1886 to, let's have a look here, uh, 1920. So about 34 years, they've got the vast bulk of the important things about Tesla. So I managed to find of the 11 or 12 quotes that that original PDF had. I managed to find four of them in original form. So what I'm gonna do right now is go through those and you'll see that not only did Tesla say, and we've got documentation that he said or he was reported to say uh, these things at the time, but that he actually said a lot more than even what was listed by that Tesla PDF. So the first one is from the New York Sun, 1901. Now the Tesla Society quoted him as saying, movements on instrument repeated many times, concludes it to be a message from another planet they said that was from a newspaper interview 1901 and then the references said that it was from the New York Sun, January 3, 1901, uh, article entitled, Some Planet Affected His Machine. And according to Wiki, the New York Sun was a broadsheet which ran from 1833 to 1950. So the Tesla Collection does have that article from the New York Sun, uh, January 3, 1901. And you can find it in the Tesla Collection, volume 15, page 115. The headline is, Tesla's call from Mars, subheadline, some planet, it seems to him, affected his machine. And the lead of the article is, suggestive of signaling the movements recorded when he was noting electrical conditions on a peak in Colorado. Why shouldn't Mars know Morse as well as we? Now, the early part of the quote uh, is, I guess, an editorialized uh, comment. It's not from Tesla himself. And it says, Mr. Tesla dwelt on his work to a son man yesterday afternoon. He regards his latest results as far and away the most important he has ever attained. Briefly, Tesla has been able to note a novel manifestation of energy, which he knows is not of solar or terrestrial origin. And being neither, he concluded it must emanate from one of the planets. Now, the following part is all credited to Tesla, and I'll quote it verbatim. Quote, It was, in fact, in investigating feeble electrical actions transmitted through the Earth that I made some observations which are to me the most gratifying. Chief among these were certain feeble electrical disturbances which I could barely note at the times and which by their character unmistakably showed that they were neither of solar origin nor produced by any causes known to me on the globe. What could they be? I have incessantly thought of this for months until finally I arrived at the conviction, amounting to almost knowledge, that they must be of planetary origin. As I think over it now, it seems to me that only men stricken with blindness, insensitive to the greatness of nature, can hold that this planet is the only one inhabited by intelligent beings. I have perfected my transmitting apparatus so far that I can undertake to construct a machine which will, 
without the slightest doubt be fully competent to convey sufficient energy to the planet Mars to operate one of the delicate appliances which we are now using here as, for instance, a very sensitive telegraph or telephone instrument. Now, since we are already so far advanced, is it unreasonable to at least believe in the possibility that of the 20 or 25 planets of the solar system, one, if not more, might be ahead of us in evolution? Where there is sun's heat and moisture, life must originate and must go on developing just as a stone must fall to earth. And then later in the same article, the time has certainly arrived for the electrician to join the astronomer in the exploration of our neighboring worlds, end quote. Now again, you can find the photocopy of this newspaper article on the Tesla collections, everything that I just read out. A couple of the main points there, he says that uh, he thinks only men stricken with blindness, insensible to the greatness of nature, can hold that this planet is the only one inhabited by intelligent beings. He also says, interestingly, that he thinks there's 20 or 25 planets of the solar system. I'm not sure where he gets those numbers. And then he also says that the life on Mars or life on other planets might be ahead of us in evolution. Now, bear in mind that at the time, evolution, human evolution theory was only a few decades old. Now, people just believe it as fact. But back then, it was still a very, uh, it was still a very novel idea. It was still a radical idea, really. And uh, he was pushing it as a fact, not only a fact, but you know, evolution not just taking place here on Earth, but on other planets as well. So not only is the quote from uh, that original PDF legitimate one, but it only really scratches the surface of what he said in that article. And again, that's all from the New York Sun, January 3, 1901. Now, the next one that I was able to find in the Tesla collection was the quote from the Harvard Illustrated now, the Tesla Society quote is simply, I refer to the strange electrical disturbances, the discovery of which I announced six years ago. At the time, I was only certain they were of planetary origin. Now, after mature thought and study, I have come to the positive conclusion that they must emanate from Mars. And they, the, uh, the Tesla Society said that that's by Nikola Tesla signaling to Mars a problem in electrical engineering. Harvard Illustrated, March 1907 and the tesla collection does have this piece as well photocopied the harvard illustrated magazine march 1907 the title of the piece is signaling to mars a problem of electrical engineering the author is nikola tesla and once again i'll read this one verbatim again remember this is nikola tesla in a mainstream publication which has been photocopied and you can now see for yourself at the Tesla collection. This is from 1907 in the Harvard Illustrated. Quote, No one can look at Percival Lowell's globe of Mars without a feeling of profound astonishment, if not awe. These markings, still imperfectly discerned and incomprehensible, but evidently intended for a useful purpose, may they not contain a record of deep meaning left by a superior race, perhaps extinct, to tell its young brethren in other worlds of secrets discovered, of life and struggle, of their own terrible fate? What mighty pathos and love in such a gigantic drama of the universe? But let us hope that the astronomer has seen true that Mars is not a cold grave, but the abode of happy intelligent creatures from whom we may learn. Later in the same article, 
But I quite agree with Professor Morse that this whole wonderful map produces absolute and irresistible conviction that these canals owe their existence to a guiding intelligence. Their great size is not a valid argument to the contrary. It would merely imply that the Martians have harnessed the energy of waterfalls. We know of no other source of power competent to explain such tremendous feats of engineering. They could not be accomplished by capturing the sun's rays or abstracting heat imparted in the atmosphere. For this, according to our best knowledge, would require clumsy and inefficient machinery. The astonishing evidences furnished by Lowell are not only indicative of organic life, but they make it appear very probable that Mars is still populated, and furthermore, that its inhabitants are highly developed intelligent beings. Is there any other proof of such existence? I answer emphatically, yes, prompted by both an instinct which has never yet deceived me, and observation. I refer to the strange electrical disturbances, the discovery of which I announced six years ago. At that time, I was only certain that they were of planetary origin. Now, after mature thought and study, I have come to the positive conclusion that they must emanate from Mars. And then, later in the same article, We can have no idea what a Martian might be like, but he certainly has sensitive organs, much as our own, responsive to external stimuli. He ought to think and reason like ourselves. If he breathes, eats and drinks, he is moved by motives and desires not very different from our own. Such colossal transformation as is observable on the face of Mars could not have been wrought except by beings ages ahead of us in development. What wonder, then, if they have maps of this, our globe, as perfect as Professor Pickering's photographs of the moon? What wonder if they are signalling to us? We are sufficiently advanced in electrical science to know that their task is much easier than ours. The question is, can we transmit electrical energy to that immense distance? This I think myself competent enough to answer in the affirmative. End quote. Now once again, I have to repeat this. This is an article penned by Nikola Tesla in the Harvard Illustrated magazine, which you can see a photocopy of for yourself on the Tesla collection, which itself is promoted by the Tesla Society, by William H. Turbo, the last remaining relative of Nikola Tesla, etc. This is the official story, my friends. Uh, as official stories go, this is official as it gets, and there you've got Tesla talking about Martians being just like us, etc. in 1907, more than 100 years ago, okay? And as you can see for yourself, the quote from the Tesla Society document that I used for the first video checks out, it's in there. But the quote, that's only a small portion of what he said in the, in the article, and I've given you much more from that article. That isn't even the full article. I'm trying to be relatively brief here. I'm going to provide all of the links. I hope you guys go and check this out for yourself. So there's two more references that I was able to find based on the Tesla Society quotes. This one is from the New York Times 1909. Now, the Tesla Society PDF uh, gave the quote, To be sure, we have no absolute proof Mars is inhabited, Personally, I base my faith on the feeble planetary disturbances which I discovered in the summer of 1899 and which, according to my investigations, could not have originated from the Sun, the Moon or Venus. Further study has satisfied me that they must have emanated from Mars. So I, uh, end quote. So I found that one on the Tesla collection as well. Sure enough, from the New York Times, 23 May 1909, and uh, it's Tesla Collection, Volume 18, page 147. The headline is, How to Signal Mars. The subheadline is, Wireless the only way now, says Nikola Tesla. Mirror plan not practicable. 
and I'll read this one out verbatim, quote, Of all the evidence of narrow-mindedness and folly, I know of no greater one than the stupid belief that this little planet is singled out to be the seat of life and that all other heavenly bodies are fiery masses or lumps of ice. Most certainly some planets are not inhabited, but others are, and among these there must exist life under all conditions and phases of development. Civilized existence rests on the development of the mechanical arts. The force of gravitation on Mars is only two-fifths of that on Earth, hence all mechanical problems must have been much easier of solution. This is even more so of the electrical. The planet being much smaller, the contact between individuals and the mutual exchange of ideas must have been much quicker, and there are many other reasons why intellectual life should have been on that planet phenomenal in its evolution. To be sure, we have no absolute proof that Mars is inhabited, but the whole arrangement of the so-called waterways, as pictured by Lowell, would seem to have been designed. Personally, I base my faith on the feeble planetary electrical disturbances which I discovered in the summer of 1899 and which, according to my investigations, could not have originated from the Sun, the Moon or Venus. Further study has satisfied me that they must have emanated from Mars. All doubt in this regard will soon be dispelled. Later in the same article he says, It is evident then that in my experiments in 1899 and 1900, I have already produced disturbances on Mars incomparably more powerful than could be attained by any light reflectors, however large, end quote. And so, once again, we found that the original quote given by the Tesla Society does indeed check out, and not only that, when you go to find the original source as given by the Tesla collection, in this case from the New York Times of 1909, Tesla actually goes even further than the Tesla Society quote, talking about life on Mars and that it's inhabited and how you can communicate with it, etc. So we've gone through three now, I'll go through just one more. This one is from the New York Herald, 1919. And the quote given originally by the Tesla Society is, during my experiments there, Colorado Springs, 1899, Mars was at a relatively small distance from us and in that dry and rarefied air, Venus appeared so large and bright that it might have been mistaken for one of those military signaling lights. I came to the conclusion that Mars was sufficient to exert a noticeable influence on a delicate receiver of the kind I was perfecting. My ear barely caught signals coming in regular succession, which could not have been produced on Earth, caused by solar or lunar action or by the influence of Venus, and the possibility that they might have come from Mars flashed upon my mind. And again, that's from the New York Herald. So I tracked that one down in the Tesla collections. It's from the New York Herald, 12 October 1919. And uh, Wiki says that the New York Herald ran from 1835 to 1924. The headline of this article, and again, you can see this for yourself at the Tesla Collection, is Signals to Mars Based on Hope of Life on Planet, author Nikola Tesla. And again, I will uh, quote verbatim. Quote, The idea that other planets are inhabited by intelligent beings might be traced to the very beginnings of civilization. This in itself would have significance for many ancient, something the photocopy gets in the way, had their origin in ignorance, fear, or other motives, good or evil, and were nothing more than products of untrained, tortured imagination. But when a conviction lives through ages in the minds, proving stronger and stronger with increasing knowledge and intellectual development, 
it may be safely concluded that there is a solid truth underlying the instinctive perception. Modern investigation has revealed that there are other worlds situated much the same as ours and that organic life is bound to develop wherever there is heat, light and moisture. We know now that such conditions exist on innumerable heavenly bodies. Venus is, in many respects, like the Earth and must undoubtedly be the abode of some kind of life. Mars has been exhaustively studied by the late Percival Lowell with a strong argument in support of the supposition that it is populated by a race vastly superior to ours in the mastery of the forces of nature. If such be the case, then all that we can accomplish on this globe is of trifling importance as compared to with the perfection of means putting us in possession of the secrets they must have discovered in their struggle against merciless elements. What a tragedy it would be were we to find some day that this wonderful people had finally met its inevitable fate and that all precious intelligence they might have and perhaps had tried to convey was lost. But although scientific research during the last few decades has given substance to traditional belief, no serious attempts to establish communication could have been made until quite recently for want of proper instrumentalities. Later in the same article, In later years I have bitterly regretted that I yielded to the excitement of ideas and pressure of business instead of concentrating all my energies on that investigation. The time is ripe now to make a systematic study of this transcending problem, the consummation of which may mean untold blessings to the human race. Capital should be liberally provided and a body of competent experts formed to examine all the plans proposed to assist in carrying out the best. The mere initiation of such a project in these uncertain and revolutionary times would result in a benefit which cannot be underestimated, end quote. And once again, that's directly from Tesla in an article that he wrote, which you can see a photocopy of at the Tesla collections. So what we've done is, or what I've done here is, I've found the quotes as listed by the Tesla Society document. I've found those from another source, and then I've given you more information from those sources. But let's just recap those then, those four sources that I just cited and read out verbatim. Here are the key bits from the four. From the New York Sun, 1901, quote, As I think over it now, it seems to me that only men stricken with blindness, insensible to the greatness of nature, can hold that this planet is the only one inhabited by intelligent beings, end quote. Then from the Harvard Illustrated, 1907, quote, The astonishing evidences furnished by Lowell are not only indicative of organic life, but they make it appear very probable that Mars is still populated, and furthermore, that its inhabitants are highly developed intelligent beings. Is there any other proof of such existence? I answer emphatically, yes, end quote. Then, Nikola Tesla in the New York Times, 1909, quote, Of all the evidence of narrow-mindedness and folly, I know of no greater one than the stupid belief that this little planet is singled out to be the seat of life and that all other heavenly bodies are fiery masses or lumps of ice. Most certainly, some planets are not inhabited, but others are, and among these there must exist life under all conditions and phases of development, end quote. And then finally, in the New York Herald in 1919, quote, Mars has been exhaustively studied by the late Percival Lowell with a strong argument in support of the supposition that it is populated by a race vastly superior to ours in the mastery of the forces of nature, end quote.
So just by checking the quotes given by the original Tesla Society document, we can see that Tesla was promoting the idea that life existed on planets like Mars long before this was even popular within science fiction. And from these quotes alone, we can answer the video's question in the affirmative. Tesla certainly was a scientism priest. There's no doubt about that. You saw the quotes for yourself there. He's not merely talking about the possibility of life on these other planets, which alone would be very dodgy, especially 100 years ago. But he's talking about communicating with them. And he's also talking about what kind of life they might be, how they might be intelligent. And he's also stating with a lot of confidence that that life either exists to this day or they did exist in the past, but have since been wiped out. And again, these are all sources that you can double check for yourself, photocopies as provided by the Tesla collection. And where are these things printed? The New York Sun, Harvard Illustrated, New York Times, New York Herald, okay? So this isn't some hobby website who's just posting uh, you know, an HTML text file. These are establishment sources in which Nikola Tesla 100 years ago was saying there's life on Mars and we can talk to it. Okay, so my video, the original video that started all of this, the JLB uh, E video, Nikola Tesla, a scientism priest, we've answered that in the affirmative. He is preaching about life on Mars and evolution 100 years ago. Okay. Now, in doing my research, I found that the whole matter goes significantly further than this. Among other things, it turns out that Nikola Tesla is central to so much bunkum which is spouted and believed by the lemmings who populate this scene and the alternative media in general. And I'm going to share some of what I found with you right now. So we'll move on to part four of this podcast, which is the primary sources for research on Nikola Tesla. And of course, by primary resources, we mean documents from the original source. So quotes from the person involved, their own books, their own diaries, etc. Those would usually constitute primary sources. Then when people come along and use those sources to write their own books, those would be secondary and then tertiary sources. So ideally, when we're trying to build up a knowledge base or an evidence base on what someone did or what they said, we want to go to the primary source. If somebody says, oh, Nikola Tesla built this amazing advanced technology that was suppressed, the best place to go to find out about that would be Tesla himself. Did he write about this technology? Did he write about it getting suppressed, etc.? If we can't find that, can we find someone who was close to him who wrote about it? And so on and so forth, right? If you just get a book that has no references, no citations and says, this happened or that happened, that's at best a secondary source and uh, maybe even a tertiary source. Why would you place any uh, faith in what it's saying? Why would you have any reason to believe any of what it says? It's just making claims. What's the actual evidence? So what we did earlier was we looked at what Tesla allegedly wrote in these mainstream articles at the time. If you want to find out more about Tesla, the first thing you'd probably do is go and try and find a book that he wrote, right? If someone was trying to find out about you, what did you believe? What did you say? What did you do? The best place to go would be to speak to you. Okay, now once you're dead, they can't speak to you. They'll be able to find books that you read or videos that you made, etc. Now in Tesla's time, not quite as easy to make videos or YouTube videos or these kinds of things, but he could have written books. So we'd want to go to the books to find the primary evidence of anything that we can about his life, right? So that's what I tried to do. I wanted to find the primary evidence about Nikola Tesla. As I said in that original video, I didn't really know much about Nikola Tesla other than he invented these Tesla coils, which I knew because of video games of Command and Conquer, right? 
and I'd heard the name Tesla many times. He was this inventor, but I didn't really actually know anything about him. So I wanted to start from the start. I wanted to go and find a book on Nikola Tesla. Turns out you can't find any books written by Nikola Tesla. How amazing is that? If you try to look for books by Nikola Tesla, here are some of the places you might go to to find those books where you can find those books. If you Google, for instance, Nikola Tesla books, what comes up, right? Well, let's go through a quick list of what I found originally doing all of this research. There's a Wikipedia page on Nikola Tesla. The section entitled Further Reading, the only book of Nikola Tesla's that it lists is called My Inventions. Now, as we'll see in a moment, that book was not written by Nikola Tesla. I'll speak more about that in a moment. That's the only book that it lists. Now, there's a Wikipedia page, a separate page called List of Nikola Tesla Writings. Now, this one specifically mentions My Inventions. Again, we'll talk about that in a moment. It also mentions the fantastic inventions of Nikola Tesla and the Tesla Papers. Now, the fantastic inventions of Nikola Tesla and the Tesla Papers are supposedly based on Tesla's papers and patents, and both are written by a character named David Hatcher Childress. David Hatcher Childress also writes books about things like anti-gravity, the Sasquatch, and time travel. I'll speak more about David Hatcher Childress and people like him in a later podcast. Suffice to say that so far, those first two links we've looked at, all we've found is this book called My Inventions. The others, maybe not quite as reputable as far as primary sources go, as we might like. Now, the next link that you might come across is TFC Books, 21st Century Books, which openly describes itself on its homepage as an online Tesla information source. What books of Teslas do they list? Well, they list my inventions. Again, we'll talk about that in a moment. It also lists the problem of increasing human energy. Now, that problem of increasing human energy, that isn't a book. That's uh, an article or an essay that Tesla wrote for uh, a periodical or for an, a magazine or a journal. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But as you can see, three links that we've gone through so far, three of the first links that you'll find if you look for Tesla, and there's only one book that we've actually found so far by Tesla, and it's called My Inventions. The next place you might go is the Tesla Memorial Society of New York, which is the same organization which published that Mars booklet that I cited in the original video and whose references I had to double check and we went through earlier in this podcast. What books by Tesla do they list? What are the first ones they list? Uh, they list a whole bunch of their own books, actually, a whole bunch of secondary and tertiary sources, many of them written by their own board members, uh, but they don't list, so far as I can see, uh, any specific or central uh, mentions of any books by Tesla himself. Certainly not in the first parts of any of their pages, right? Then you might go to the teslamemorialsociety.org, which is run by William H. Turbo, who claims himself to be the last living relative of Tesla. Now on his website, he also lists my inventions. And then he also lists a whole bunch of books that are not written by Tesla. Then finally, you might go to the Tesla universe, which is the top listing on Google if you Google top uh, Nikola Tesla website. His book page, or that website's book page, doesn't list any books by Tesla, at least on the first page of listings. It only lists books written by others. So from all of this, you can come to the fair conclusion that Nikola Tesla did not write any books of his own at all. 
he wrote or was purported to have written many articles for newspapers and journals, some of which we've already looked at, but no books. The books that we do have of him have been compiled after the fact by others long after his death. The most important and the one referenced the most is this book called My Inventions. The next most cited one is The Problem of Increasing Human Energy, which was printed in Century Magazine in 1900. So those are the two main texts. If someone's trying to look into the primary evidence of Nikola Tesla, those are the two main texts that they would look at. My Inventions and The Problem of Increasing Human Energy which was printed in the Century Magazine in 1900. So for the next part of this podcast, what I'm gonna do is look at Tesla's major works, those two works. First, we'll look at the problem of increasing human energy and responses that were made to it. So you can hear for yourself what Tesla actually wrote in his own words. Then we'll look at the contemporary responses to Tesla's essay. So you can hear for yourself what was written about Tesla at the time. And then finally, we'll take a look at his series, which was later turned into a book, My Inventions. So in other words, when you're looking for primary evidence about a character, you try and look for their books. With Tesla, he doesn't have any books that I can find and that I think anyone can find or that his official sources today will list. We've got a book that was compiled from articles he wrote. And then we've got another book uh, or we've got another set, another essay that is kind of cited as his seminal works. That's what we're gonna be looking at. So first, we'll look at The Problem of Increasing Human Energy by Nikola Tesla. Now, this is about 35 pages long. It was printed in the Century Magazine in June 1900, and on the Tesla Collection, it's volume 15, uh, page 19 to 55. Now, Wikipedia says that the Century Magazine ran from 1881 to 1930. Again, what we're about to look through was published in 1900. And of course, Nikola Tesla was the author. And again, you can check this all for yourself with photocopied documents on the Tesla collection. Links will be provided at my website, johnthebond.com, as they always are. So let's go through a few key points from this 35-page work of Nikola Tesla. Obviously, I've read through the whole thing as part of research for myself and for this podcast. We'll just go through the main points right now, try and get through this relatively quickly. In a section entitled, Efforts Towards Obtaining More Energy from Coal, the Electric Transmission, the Gas Engine, Cold Coal Battery, which begins on page 197, Tesla says, quote, Instead of consuming coal directly as usual, gas should be manufactured from it and burned to economize energy. But such improvements cannot be more than passing phases in the evolution toward far more perfect, for ultimately we must succeed in obtaining electricity from coal in a more direct way, involving no great loss of heat energy, end quote. So the obvious question that follows from this is, why would a man who believed in free energy be worried about the efficient use of coal? Well, the answers come later in Nicola's piece. In a section entitled, First Efforts to Produce the Self-Acting Engine, the Mechanical Oscillator, Work of Dewar and Lind, Liquid Air, uh, Nikola Tesla writes, and I quote, much of this task on which I have labored so long remains to be done. A number of mechanical details are still to be perfected and some difficulties of a different nature to be mastered. And I cannot hope to produce a self-acting machine deriving energy from the ambient medium for a long time yet, even if all my expectations should materialize, end quote. 
So in this section, he talks about this self-acting machine, but he finishes it by openly admitting that he hasn't produced such a machine and that he won't do for a long time. Okay, it's a key section of his work. Talks about this, what we might call a free energy machine. He openly admits he hasn't developed one and he won't for a long time. You see? Moving on to a later section entitled Discovery of Unexpected Properties of the Atmosphere, Strange Experiments, Transmission of Electrical Energy Through One Wire Without Return, Transmission Through the Earth Without Any Wire. Quote, I still remember with pleasure how nine years ago I passed the discharge of a powerful induction coil through my body to demonstrate before a scientific society the comparative harmlessness of very rapidly vibrating electric currents and I can still recall the astonishment of my audience. I would not undertake with much less apprehension than I had in the experiment to transmit through my body with such currents the entire electrical energy of the dynamos now working at Niagara, 40 or 50,000 horsepower. I have produced electrical oscillations which are of such intensity that when circulating through my arms and chest, they melted wires which joined my hands and still I felt no inconvenience, end quote. So here Tesla's claiming that he can pass the power of Niagara Falls, the dynamos at Niagara Falls, through his body harmlessly. And also that he's already done similar and melted the wires touching his hands while doing so. These aren't my words. These are Tesla's words in a work that people who are respected authorities on him to this day cite as being his seminal work, okay? You've got Tesla claiming that all the power generated from the dynamos at Niagara Falls, he can pass through his body harmlessly. And that he's done similar uh, at times when, while holding the wires, the wires melted, okay? You, you guys can start to see where this is all going, I'm quite sure. A couple more sections from this work. And again, I read all 35 pages. I'm just bringing you some of my favorite parts here. In a section entitled Development of a New Principle, The Electrical Oscillator, Production of Immense Electrical Movement, The Earth Responds to Man, Interplanetary Communication Now Probable, Tesla states, and I quote, My measurements and calculations have shown that it is perfectly practicable to produce on our own globe, by the use of these principles, an electrical movement of such magnitude that, without the slightest doubt, its effects will be perceptible on some of our nearer planets as Venus and Mars. Thus, from mere possibility, interplanetary communication has entered the stage of probability. In fact, that we can produce a distinct effect on one of these planets in this novel manner, namely, by disturbing the electrical condition of the Earth, is beyond any doubt. That we can send a message to a planet is certain, that we can get an answer is probable, Man is not the only being in the infinite gifted with a mind, end quote. So here you've got Tesla claiming that it's probable that not only can he communicate with Mars, but that there is intelligent life on Mars that will communicate back, okay? So it's not merely from the sources that we looked at earlier, like the New York Times and the Harvard Illustrated, where Tesla was saying this kind of stuff. Even in his seminal work, he was talking about communicating with people on Mars. And again, this work is from 1900. Now, one final section I want to quote from. This section's entitled Transmission of Electrical Energy to Any Distance Without Wires. Now practicable, the best means of increasing the force accelerating the human mass. Quote, 
The most valuable observation made in the course of these investigations was the extraordinary behavior of the atmosphere toward electric impulses of excessive electromagnetic force. The experiments showed that the air at ordinary pressure became distinctly conducting, and this opened up the wonderful prospect of transmitting large amounts of electrical energy for industrial purposes to great distances without wires, a possibility which up to that time was thought of as only a scientific dream, end quote. So this is what many people believe in Tesla for, that he could communicate energy over large distances. And he's saying that this was the most valuable thing that he discovered during his investigations was the transmission of power over large distances. But what else does he say about it? Well, from the same section, quote, while I have not as yet actually affected a transmission of a considerable amount of energy, such as would be of industrial importance to a great distance by this new method. I have operated several model plants under exactly the same conditions, which will exist in a large plant of this kind, and the practicability of the system is thoroughly demonstrated. The experiments have shown conclusively that, with two terminals maintained at an elevation of 30,000 to 35,000 feet above sea level, and with an electrical pressure of 15 to 20 million volts, the energy of thousands of horsepower can be transmitted at distances which may be hundreds and, if necessary, thousands of miles. It is highly probable that if there are intelligent beings on Mars, they have long ago realized this very idea, which would explain the charges on its surface, noted by astronomers. The atmosphere on that planet, being of considerably smaller density than that of Earth, would make the task much more easy." End quote. So a couple of things there. Firstly, Tesla admits that he hasn't done the wireless transmission of power of long distances. He says that to do it, he would need towers 30,000 feet high. And yet he claims that his method is thoroughly demonstrated. So the question is, what's the highest tower that he had used up till that point? Now, some people will try and talk about Wardenclyffe Tower, etc., Fine, you can talk about them. Even then, what are you talking? A few hundred feet at most? He's saying in this piece, his seminal piece, he would need towers 30,000 feet high and he would need ridiculous voltages. What was he saying? Uh, 20 million volts. Okay, these are Tesla's words, not mine. And then if that's not good enough, he then says, oh, by the way, this technology where I would need uh, 30,000 feet high towers, I would need 20 million volts, uh, the, the Martians have probably already mastered it, okay? Now, there are, there are people, seemingly intelligent people, who will promote Tesla's wireless transmission of energy. How many of them have read this work by Tesla? I have. I read all 35 pages today, and I took notes, and I've given you guys what I think are some of the best pieces. Hopefully, you can see why I'm sitting here going, how can any intelligent person be promoting this stuff? We'll talk more about that in a moment. What's really interesting is the responses that Tesla got to this piece at the time. I got all of the following from the Tesla collection. Once again, you can check these for yourself. Photocopies of what was written at the time in response to Tesla. Now, this one's from a magazine called Public Opinion Magazine. And this was printed on the 14th of June, 1900. And Google says that public opinion was published from 1886 to 1906. Again, this one is from 1900, immediately following Tesla's uh, piece that we were just discussing there. The title of this one is Mr. Tesla's Experiments. The author's not listed. Quote, 
The Problem of Increasing Human Energy is the title of an article in the June Century by Nikola Tesla, the inventor. Mr. Tesla gives us glimpses of many of his recent experiments having in view the increase of human energy, but a very small part of his article is intelligible to the lay reader and it is, furthermore, largely speculative, end quote. And of course it is largely speculative, as we were just saying. 30,000 feet high towers, 20 million volts, etc. It is largely speculative. Uh, we'll move on to the next one. This one's from the Electrical Review, the 22nd of June, 1900. And apparently this Electrical Review is still in publication to this day. It's the longest established UK electrical journal, first published in 1872. And this one's entitled Tesla on Energy. The author is T.H. Muras. Quote, Tesla's article contains a number of suggestions as to obtaining energy for mechanical and chemical purposes directly from sunlight and from the heat of the earth and the atmosphere and its transmission by high frequency electric currents through the upper part of the atmosphere. The article does not contain one exact measurement or statement of an attained result, but it is accompanied by photographs of remarkable electric discharges extending to 100 feet long in the air. These are apparently obtained by high frequency currents in large inductive circuits tuned by means of condensers to rates from 50,000 to 130,000 cycles per second, the pressure obtained being about 12 million volts. No indication is given as to how these figures are arrived at. Electricians and probably other people would have been grateful if a few pages of the article had been devoted to a precise account of these electrical experiments. As it is, the article is mainly of interest on account of the pretty and somewhat startling photographs." End quote. We'll move on to the third one. This one's from Popular Science, which still runs to this day. Apparently, they've been publishing since 1872. And in fact, what I'm about to read you out, I got from the Tesla collections, but you can even find a copy of it at Wikisource as well in their Popular Science Monthly uh, catalog. So that's what I'm saying. These articles, whether you want to believe that Tesla said these things or not, the point is that according to official history and primary documentation, this is what was published at the time. And in this case, it was published in Popular Science on the 1st of July, 1900. This particular piece uh, is a little bit longer, but I'm going to read it out because I think you'll see why. It's entitled Science and Fiction, and the author is listed as physicist. Quote, Mr. Tesla offers the reader some naive verbal analogies between the causes of human progress and the energy of theoretical physics and a eulogy of a number of inventions he expects to make. Of course, the whole notion that the velocity of the human mass, i.e. the space it traverses in a given time, has any connection with human progress or is of any value to anybody or anything is absurd. It would take too long to even note here all the important scientific discoveries which Mr. Tesla expects to make or all the benefits which he expects to thereby confer upon mankind in general and in particular upon those who exploit his inventions. New sources of energy, Mr. Tesla thinks, may be opened up, such as a wheel which shall perform work without any further effort on our part than that of constructing it. Into further particulars concerning the nature of this device, Mr. Tesla does not enter, though it would seem a matter well fitted to engage his peculiar gifts. The screen against gravity idea has already entered into a popular story 
but scientific men have probably not given it much consideration. The golden age figures largely in Mr. Tesla's article. He offers us all that is entrancing and wonderful. He is generous. We ask for the bread of definite facts of science and intelligible evidence, but he gives us the amethyst and topaz and diamonds of an ambient medium doing all our work and the atmosphere transporting all our motive power and the tyrant gravity held powerless by a screen. They may dazzle the magazine reader, but they do not nourish the student of science. The century editors evidently often do not know science from rubbish and apparently seldom make any effort to find out the difference. They should at least submit their scientific literature to competent men for criticism and revision. The general public is helpless before any supposedly scientific statement. It may judge vaguely by the standing of the paper or magazine or book containing it, by the name of the writer or the general tone in which the article is written, but it cannot judge definitely by comparison with relevant facts or by critically examining the logic of the deductions. For the general public lacks both knowledge of the relevant facts and training in logical criticism. Guidance in scientific matters should be welcome if only for the protection thus given against fraudulent medicines, bogus inventions, and nonsensical enterprises, end quote. And again, this is all in response to the Tesla piece which appeared in a Century magazine and which is cited by many of his proponents as his seminal work. And one more piece that I want to read that was published at the time in response to Tesla. This one's from Science, which has published from 1880 to the present, although with some intermissions. And this particular piece was published on the 21st of September, 1900. The title is Mr. Tesla and the Universe, Human Energy and How to Increase It, His Philosophizing Questioned. Uh, the author's not listed, but we can presume it was an editorial. Quote, Tesla's article in the June Century is composed essentially of three different kinds of writing. The first kind describes Mr. Tesla's experiments in electricity and shows what he has already accomplished. This work is no doubt important. Its value will be appraised by experts. The present writer has no claim to be considered an electrical expert and does not attempt to give an estimate of the achievements referred to. The second describes what Mr. Tesla expects to achieve in the future. His prophecies are so sanguine, in many cases, that even a general reader may presume to compare them with the comparatively small things already accomplished, and to point out how very unlikely it is that any great part of his expectations will be realized within any reasonable future, within Mr. Tesla's lifetime, for example. The third element of the article consists of philosophical arguments about things in general, about human life, what it is, the future of the solar system, the solidarity of the human race, the Christian religion, vegetable food, theoretical dynamics, athletics in colleges, drinking water, ozone, education of women, ice, fertilizers, insanity, warfare, flying machines, iron manufacture, aluminium liquid air, self-acting engines, the inhabitants of Mars, etc., etc., etc. Now these other matters are interesting in themselves. We are all anxious to obtain new light upon them. We are all more or less competent to judge the conclusions of other people regarding them. It is not too much to say that this portion of Mr. Tesla's paper is in the main so trivial, so superficial, so obviously weak as to throw doubt upon the whole essay. Many of the subjects treated are the oldest problems of the human race. They have been discussed by every philosopher since Aristotle. 
It is fairly astonishing to see Mr. Tesla's reasonings in print at this day. They compare with the logic of giants like Spinoza, Kant, Lord Kelvin, Herbert Spencer, and the rest as a baby's prattle to this summer theologia. If this judgment seems too harsh, the following paragraphs will fully confirm it. No discourtesy is meant to Mr. Tesla. End quote. Now, it's a long article. Naturally, I'm not going to read all of it. Links will all be provided. What I'll do is just skip to the conclusion that's listed in this article in Science Magazine. Quote, the next paragraphs of Mr. Tesla's long paper are taken up with the description of his experiments on electrical matters, wireless telegraphy, which Marconi independently discovered and has made practical, etc. Into these, we will not follow him, except to say that he claims to be able to produce electrical effects on the planets Venus or Mars by methods which he is very careful not to explain. He expects an answer too. We might go on page by page, pointing out error, extravagance and bathos like the preceding. There seems to be no special need to go further. It should be evident to any impartial reader that the value of Mr. Tesla's general philosophical speculations is exactly nil. End quote. So there you have it. There's four different sources contemporary to Tesla and his writings who have all said that his work is nonsense. And just to hammer that point home, I'll now give you a brief excerpt from each of those four sources again. Popular opinion called Tesla's work largely speculative. The Electrical Review said Tesla's article does not contain one exact measurement or statement of an attained result, but it is accompanied by photographs of remarkable electric discharges. As it is, the article is mainly of interest on account of the pretty and somewhat startling photographs. Popular Science said, The Golden Age figures largely in Mr. Tesla's article. He offers us all that is entrancing and wonderful. He is generous. We ask for the bread of definite facts of science and intelligible evidence, but he gives us the amethyst and topaz and diamonds of an ambient medium doing all our work and the atmosphere transporting all our motive power and the tyrant gravity held powerless by a screen. They may dazzle the magazine reader, but they do not nourish the student of science. And then Science Magazine says... We might go on page by page, pointing out error, extravagance and bathos like the preceding. There seems to be no special need to go further. It should be evident to any impartial reader that the value of Mr. Tesla's general philosophical speculations is exactly nil. Again, all contemporary to Tesla, all available as primary source documentation at the Tesla collections, no less. That's right, those four things that I read to you uh, popular Opinion, Electrical Review, Popular Science, and Science Magazine. All four of those you can read for yourself from the Tesla Collections. And the Tesla Collections, again, is a fantastic resource. There's so much information there. Its database is fairly easy to search through. And what I'm reading out to you is what I found by going through that database, a database of primary source documentation. So clearly, after reading all of that, we can see that Tesla's seminal 36-page work printed in the century in 1900 was utter crap. Now, we can see that for ourselves today, and we can see that his peers could see that for themselves 116 years ago. His work contained no real science. It contained a lot of philosophizing, which was also crap, and it contained yet more references to communicating with life on Mars. Now, I could wrap this podcast up here, and anybody listening to this would, at the very least, understand why the Tesla story peddled by alternative media types, such as Judy Wood, is nonsense. But my research has led me to conclude that this is only the tip of the iceberg. 
I'll now briefly detail where my research has taken me. Now earlier I explained how the closest we have to a book written by Nikola Tesla is My Inventions. I won't go into the detail about the contents of that work for now. Instead, I want to focus on the meta aspects of that book. Now it's entitled My Inventions. It's a compilation of Tesla's writings which were published in a journal or a periodical or a magazine called The Electrical Experimenter in 1919. So about 20 years after the early work that we were looking at just a moment ago. It was compiled into a book by somebody named Ben Johnson and published by the Hart Brothers in 1982. In other words, decades after Tesla had passed away. So in other words, the closest that we have to a book by Tesla is actually from a bunch of articles that he wrote in 1919, which was decades later turned into a book. The Electrical Experimenter, which those articles were published in, was founded and published by a character named Hugo Gernsback. Now this name might ring some bells to you if you're a fan of science fiction. Hugo Gernsback is considered the grandfather of science fiction. Many people describe him as such. He published the first science fiction magazine, at least according to Wiki. Now the Hugos are named after him and these are the annual awards for the best science fiction works. In other words, science fiction writers today, uh, when they're honoured for their science fiction, the most prestigious honour they can receive, apparently, is a Hugo. Would you believe that? And it's named after Hugo Gernsback. So Hugo Gernsback is the one who published The Electrical Experimenter, which heavily promoted Tesla, not just in Tesla's works, which were later turned into a book, but with other articles, many of them written by Gernsback himself. So in other words, if you want to read what people consider to be Tesla's autobiography. And if you go to the main sources looking for a book by Tesla, they'll refer you to this book called My Inventions. My Inventions was published as a bunch of articles in The Electrical Experimenter. And only decades later was it turned into a book, which is cited as Tesla's main book. Well, let's look further at Hugo Gernsback, shall we? Now, from Wiki, it says, quote, Hugo Gernsback, uh, 1884 to 1967, born Hugo Gernsbacher, was a Luxembourgish-American inventor, writer, editor, and magazine publisher, best known for publications including the first science fiction magazine. His contributions to the genre as publisher were so significant that, along with the novelists H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, he is sometimes called the father of science fiction. In his honor, annual awards presented at the World Science Fiction Convention are named the Hugos. Now, also in that Wikipedia article is this quote from somebody named Barry Moldsberg. Now, Barry Moldsberg is a science fiction writer and editor and has in the past been nominated for a Hugo Award for his own work. This is a quote straight from Barry Moldsberg about Gernsback. Quote, Gernsback's finality and corruption, his sleaziness and his utter disregard for the financial rights of authors have been so well documented and discussed in critical and fan literature that the founder of genre science fiction who gave his name to the field's most prestigious award and who was the guest of honor at the 1952 Worldcon was pretty much a crook and a contemptuous crook who stiffed his writers but paid himself $100,000 a year as president of Gernsback Publications has been clearly established, end quote. So this is a man, a science fiction writer and editor, who's been nominated for a Hugo, saying that Gernsback was a crook. 
He was sleazy. He was a crook. Those are his words, right? Now, this is all from Wiki. How much can you trust Wiki? Obviously, you can't trust Wiki. I'm just giving you an overview of the story here. What more can we find out about Gernsback? Or what have I been able to find out in my research? Well, I found a book called The Road to Science Fiction by a man named James E. Gunn. I'll give you a quote from that book. Quote, Gernsback saw his new science fiction as a way to promote understanding of science and technology through fiction, a kind of candy coating for a pill of instruction. His formula was 75% literature interwoven with 25% science, end quote. Now, this again is from a book by James E. Gunn. Gunn is an authority on science fiction. He's the professor of English at Kansas University. He's received many accolades, etc., etc. And this book is all about the history of science fiction. So he's talking about Gernsback promoting uh, science, what's promoted as science, through science fiction, you see. And he's stating this James E. Gunn, this professor of English at Kansas University, an expert, an authority on science fiction, is saying that, and I'll quote this one again, Gernsback saw his new science fiction as a way to promote understanding of science and technology through fiction, a kind of candy coating for a pill of instruction. His formula was 75% literature interwoven with 25% science. End quote. Now let's put all of that in perspective. I understand this is a podcast, so it can be hard to follow all of this. Again, all the links will be provided. Let me put all of what I just uh, read out to you in perspective. The closest thing that we have to a book by Tesla himself is a collection of articles that he wrote for the Electrical Experimenter in 1919. The Electrical Experimenter was published by Hugo Gernsback. Hugo Gernsback is considered by many to be the grandfather of science fiction to the point where the most prestigious awards for science fiction writers today, to this day, are named the Hugos in his honour. Respected science fiction authorities on Gernsback quote him as saying that science fiction is a way to promote science through fiction and that his formula is 75% literature interwoven with 25% science. Other respected science fiction authorities have stated that Gernsback was corrupt and a crook. Tesla's autobiography, My Inventions, was printed not as a book but as articles exclusively in Gernsback's magazine in 1919 and only compiled into a book decades after Tesla's death. Just think about that for a moment. In fact, that's so important, I want to go over that with you again. If you look for the primary sources of Nikola Tesla, you'll find a whole bunch of articles and journal uh, pieces, etc. As I've gone through today, you'll find them at the Tesla Collection. All good. If you want a book of him, the closest you'll get to a book is one called My Inventions. And this is one that's cited by many uh, Tesla authorities, such as the Tesla Society, by his own only surviving relative, William H. Turbo, etc. It's called My Inventions. But he didn't write that as a book. He wrote it as a bunch of articles. Those articles appeared in 1919 in The Electrical Experimenter, which was published by Hugo Gernsback, the science fiction writer. People call him the father of science fiction. The awards for science fiction, the Hugos to this day, are named in his honor. He's been cited as a crook. And he's also, according to established respected science fiction uh, authorities, he's someone who wanted to use science fiction to promote science to the point where he'd have 25% science and 75% fiction 
was what he thought was the uh, the best formula, if you like. That's where Tesla's autobiography comes from. Think about that. So the final part of the podcast, then the summary. What we've gone through today is only a fraction of what I've uncovered during my research into Tesla. Here's a quick summary of what we've gone through. We've revisited my original video that talked about how at the time I didn't know much about Tesla, but I'd found these quotes. Then we took a look at the comments it generated. We saw that many people are very open-minded to the idea they've been lied to about Tesla and that all of history needs to be re-examined. We can't necessarily trust it without looking into it for ourselves. We also saw other comments of people defending their beliefs in Tesla because they've bought into certain mythology regarding Tesla, I would argue. So we've looked at the video, we've looked at the comments, which is what a comment response is all about. Then we've looked at my research since then. So I've confirmed that the quotes that were given in that Tesla Society PDF were in fact from Tesla, which we did via the Tesla collection, which is accepted as a, an official um, compendium, if you like, of Tesla's works. And you can see the photocopies and the facsimiles for yourself. These, This is what was published by and about Tesla at the time, during his time. So we reviewed Tesla's work in his own words. Specifically, we looked at that seminal 36-page uh, piece of his published in 1900. We've looked at some of the key parts of it, how he talks about how he's never created a free energy machine, that he's not even close, how he talks about communicating with uh, inhabitants of Mars, all these kinds of things in his own words. Then we've also looked at what Tesla's contemporaries had to say about Tesla's works and how they rejected his rubbish. In doing all of this, we've established that Tesla was indeed a scientism priest who promoted the notion of life on Mars well before it was widely accepted, even within science fiction. We've also seen that he provided no scientific evidence for his claims about free energy or long-distance wireless transmission of energy. Not only that, in his seminal piece, that 1900 piece published in uh, the century, he's talking about how he's established that his wireless transmission works uh, on models, but then he says for it to work in reality, He'd need, what, 12 million volts and 30,000 feet tall uh, towers. Okay, these are his words. So we've gone through all of that. And so based on all of that, anyone who used to believe that Tesla had created long-distance wireless transmission of energy or that he created a free energy machine, they should be, at the very least, eager to go and check the references that I'll provide at johnlebond.com to the Tesla collection or just cut out the middleman, cut me out, go straight to the Tesla collection find these documents for yourself see if tesla really did write these as i'm saying that he did because he did and then you'll have a contradiction can you on the one hand believe that tesla invented these things while accepting that he wrote these pieces can you i would say i would suggest that you simply cannot now what i haven't done in this podcast is touch upon the connections between tesla mythology the new age movement and leading pseudoscience promoters nor have I touched upon the connection between Tesla mythology, modern academia, mainstream media, popular culture. Now, you're probably wondering why, if Tesla's nonsense was so obvious, not just to us now, but even to his contemporaries, why is it that so many people, especially in this scene, are so enamored by the mythology surrounding Tesla? And this is a whole other rabbit hole that I originally started going down before I started finding some of this primary evidence, etc. And it's a very interesting one. I just don't have time to go into it today because this has already gone, what, the best part of two hours? And for a lot of people, that's a very long podcast. They just don't have the attention span to, uh, to handle it. But I'll give you an idea of what I'll be covering 
in later podcasts and videos related to these topics. The major promoter of Tesla mythology today, one of the main chief promoters, even in the mainstream media and through his own works, is a self-confessed pseudoscientist who believes in all kinds of other pseudoscience beyond you know, Tesla's free energy and what have you, such as graphology, the studying of people's writing to determine their emotions or the psychological state, uh, Curlian photography to determine similar things, even things like telekinesis and extrasensory perception, etc. What we call parapsychology. One of the chief proponents of the Tesla mythology to this day basically uh, is a parapsychology uh, expert or promoter or what have you. I'll talk more about him by name and what have you later. What's interesting with him is that in his books where he promotes this idea that Tesla had free energy or that he had particle beams, uh, you know, these technologies to destroy things over long distances, etc. He openly admits in his work, not only in his book, but even on his website, that he was given these secret files that were stolen by an intelligence man uh, and then revealed decades later to him. Who is this intelligence man who gave him these secret Tesla files not available to the general public? A guy named Andrea Puerik. Now, Andrea Puerik has his own interesting story. This is another man involved in parapsychology. Puerik has direct ties to the military and is credited with bringing Yuri Geller to the US to study him scientifically. The same Yuri Geller of spoon-bending fame. And that's only the tip of the iceberg, okay? So when you hear people saying, oh yeah, but even if, you know, even if Tesla did say these things in his own works, which we can verify for ourselves, What's important is the files that were stolen from Tesla later when his lab was burnt down. What those people won't understand is where that story comes from. And that story comes from a parapsychologist into pseudoscience who got his information from Andrew Puerik, who is involved with people like Yuri Geller and spoon bending. Okay? And even then, I'm still only touching the tip of the iceberg. This all goes way deeper than that into things like how counterculture was uh, created by what we might call intelligence agencies, the way that they've tried to steer alternative thinking or alternative groups, etc. The way that so much of what people believe, especially people who think they're rebelling against the system, comes straight from the system. This all goes so much further than I could have ever possibly imagined when I first started looking into this. And that's the kind of stuff that we'll go into more detail about in later videos and in later podcasts. So there you have it. You couldn't make this stuff up. I couldn't make this stuff up. But somebody is making a lot of stuff up. And we certainly do live within a lie system. Now, I'm enjoying breaking it down. And I hope that you are enjoying what I'm putting out there as well. Please leave your feedback on johnlebon.com where you'll find all of the relevant links to the information presented in this podcast which I strongly encourage you to check for yourself. I do enjoy putting these things together. The research can sometimes find me trapped down rabbit holes for hours and hours a day, days on end. But uh, it's a really enjoyable experience bringing this work to you. I can only bring you so much of what I've found for myself. You try and be meticulous and rigorous when you put this stuff together. I want to make sure that anything that I say during these recordings, uh, I can give you evidence uh, generally primary evidence if possible to back up what I'm saying. And I do hope that you get something from this as well. These comment responses, the first six were obviously all related to me trying to um, debunk 
the flat earth believers and, uh, and show them that some of their beliefs just weren't based on sense. I'm spending a lot less time dealing with those people now because there's not much hope for them. But hopefully the people who believe in uh, Nikola Tesla and Judy Wood and her space beams and all the rest of it, I still think there's some hope for many of them. And um, I'm hoping that just as I get plenty from doing this research and just as many of you genuine skeptics out there will get something from what I'm doing, those people who are believers, believers in one thing or another, some of them might also get something from this as well. So I plan to stick with the comment responses. Obviously, I don't want them to normally be two hour long uh, as this one has been or the best part thereof. Generally, I'd like to uh, try and keep them to one hour. If for no other reason, then after about 90 minutes, I start to stumble over my words and what have you. But uh, this is a very important one. I'm sure you'll agree. If you've gotten right through from start to finish, I'm sure you'll agree that this is uh, a very important podcast that uh, touches on many things that are relevant to to this scene uh, and indeed to our lives. So stay tuned for any follow-ups that might be coming. But for the time being, I am John the Bond signing off on the 29th of July, 2016. Until next time, take care of yourselves. And I want to leave you with one final thought. If Tesla died in 1943 and he was a high-profile electrical engineer mixing with the most prominent investors, inventors and technologists, why can't anybody seem to produce any video footage of him?